0: Well, it certainly is an honor to be here this morning uh, with everyone. It's been awesome to spend some time worshiping together and just experiencing the, the Holy Spirit moving here in this place. And uh, I am really excited to, uh, to have an opportunity just to share a little bit about my story, a little bit about uh, Recovery Hub, and uh, what God has placed on our hearts uh, to do, and even together as we partner with CCNJ in in this effort. Um, If it's all right, I would just like to start with just a word of prayer, and, and then just jump in. Lord Jesus, again, we just want to thank you and praise you for the loving God you are, and just acknowledge that we can do nothing apart from you and so, Lord Jesus, we just pray that uh, you uh, would continue to uh, move and work in and through every aspect of even this moment now as we spend a little bit of time uh, getting to know each other. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I am, uh, it's funny, the wind came blowing through. And it, it just took all my uh, all my little notes here, and I think god 's just saying don 't worry, just let go of the notes, peter but we 'll see what happens i 'm not sure where all these things are supposed to be. <laughs> Praise the Lord <laughs> so yeah, I mean I, 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 you know the way I normally introduce myself uh, obviously i 've been a pastor for quite some time I, I pastor a church up in Chester right now, but in the in the in the groups that I spend most of my time with with folks in recovery, I I just normally qualify myself or introduce myself as, my name's Pete, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And uh, I also have the privilege, amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. And, um, you know, I have the privilege of serving as the founder and the executive director of our hub, which is a new ministry uh, and our whole focus is to just simply bring the hope and healing of Jesus Christ straight into the addictions crisis. And that's what we're all about. And, um, you know, I want to take a minute to just thank Pastor Tim. Thank the leadership here at CCNJ for allowing me to come. Also for opening up the door for us also to partner by having a group here that meets on Tuesday nights. And uh, if you want to know more about that, obviously there'll be some people in the back that can fill you in on that. And I'm just really grateful for that. And I also want to thank you uh, as a church. You may not know it, but your pastor has encouraged me greatly and has encouraged us in what God's called us to do in his open arms, uh, with his open arms and his, his love expressed toward us and support. So I just want to thank you, Pastor Tim, for opening up your heart and opening up your life to, to, uh, to this ministry and, and to what God's doing in that area. Um. So as many of us know, I mean, it's no, no new news, right, that COVID-19 has obviously caused all kinds of different things to happen in our society. But probably one of the most devastating things, and that's a hard statement to even say because every single thing that's happened that has resulted in any loss in anyone's life on any level is extremely significant. It's hard to say that there might be something more devastating than another. But one of the devastating things that's happening as the COVID pandemic has made its way into our society, is it's collided with another pandemic, and that pandemic is the pandemic of addictions. And during this time, it has been an extremely difficult time for people who struggle with mental health issues and people who struggle with addictions. The, the problem of isolation has resulted in, in, in uh, untold numbers of people who have uh, died from accidental overdose. Up to 2017, our country was used to seeing a number that it was about 70,000 people would die a year from accidental overdose, primarily connected with opioids. This year, between April 2020 and April 2021, there's already been 92,000 people that have died from accidental overdose in our country. Uh, we, we are, it's not that we're poised to have the worst year that we've ever had. We're living in the worst year that we have ever had when it comes to accidental overdose. As you talk to other people that are in the field, you also find out pretty quickly that the hospitals are reporting up to like a two to three hundred percent increase in alcohol-related emergencies throughout the nation. If you could imagine that, and if, you know, to kind of compound some of those things within the mental health field, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, drug and alcohol counselors, their 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 schedules are full, and so you know, it, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult moment for our. Our society, it's a difficult moment for many of our friends and our families as we walk alongside them and watch the suffering that they're going through or have gone through or maybe heading into. And you know, I just think that uh, I think for so many of us, say, well, what could, what could we do? What could we do? How, how are we supposed to respond? As people, as a church, what's what's our response supposed to be? And I'm just really excited to tell you that with uh, that CCNJ, as we start this partnership and our hub, we're not going to sit back idle. We're not going to sit back idle. We're going to bring the message and the hope of Jesus Christ straight into the pain and suffering that's happening all around our country, and especially here in northern New Jersey. That is the focus. Amen, brother. Amen. You know, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I think it's pretty safe to, to say that anything that we've done for a suffering addict, we've done it unto Jesus. And together we, 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 we move in that, we walk in that, we embrace that calling, we don't run from it, and we reach out in his name. Why? Because there is hope for the hopeless, right? There is healing for the brokenhearted. And it all comes through the simple message of the cross and the, the ministry of the local church. And together... We're, uh, we're poised to, to see people's lives saved and transformed in the power of Jesus Christ. So I wanted to just take a little uh, a minute to share a bit of my story with you this morning and uh, give you a little bit of an idea of my own backstory, where I've come from, and how addictions has affected my life, my home, and, and how Christ has, has made the, the difference in my life and given me a new life, new purpose, new meaning. And uh, restore unto me the things that the locusts have stolen. Um, So, me and Tim had a lot of fun when we started discussing or answering the question, like, hey, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And so, I grew up in Essex County, I grew up in North Caldwell. My grandfather lived on the street that Tim lives on, (laughs) which is just crazy. And uh, so, anyway, I grew up in North Caldwell. I grew up in a family of five. I had uh, an older brother and a younger sister. Unfortunately, my sister's not with us. She died from a tragic car accident about a year ago. But I would describe my family as your typical, you know, Roman Catholic, Italian family. Um, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we vacationed. at Where did we, where we go? We went to the Jersey Shore every year, Right. And then in the winter, my dad was gracious enough to put, bring us to Vermont. We'd go skiing for a week up there. And sports was a big thing in our home and our family. I excelled at both baseball and football. And so, you, you know, from the outside, you know, you, you, would, you would take a look at what was going on. And you'd say, oh, you know, it looks like a normal family, you know. And uh, doesn't seem, doesn't, you know, just seems like a, a good family. Um, we had a family business. My dad owned a bar and a, and a restaurant and that was kind of a central piece uh, of, of my dad's life and it eventually became the central piece of all of our lives as we all worked there together. You know, uh, again, it looked as though like we were a family that was just enjoying the success of my dad's business and, ha- and, and, and going through life and going through uh, the, the motions. and There wasn't anything that... that other kids and people in our, in our community did that, that our parents didn't help to uh, give us the opportunity to give as well. But on the back side of that was my father's addiction to alcohol, to gambling, to women. And that was something that was happening in our home. The destruction of that addiction, the devastation of that addiction, the wreckage of that addiction was something that was very much alive and active in our home. So let me just take you back, like, maybe to, like, four and five in our little house on Colony Drive in North Caldwell, New Jersey. You know, I was just thinking about this last night a little bit and reflecting, you know. Mom most definitely had us all washed up after she called us in off the street and fed us, put us in our pajamas, and tucked us into our beds. I, my brother and I had a room, my sister down the hallway, and my mom and dad's room down at the bottom of the stairs. And we would go, you know, and just seem like a normal night, going to sleep, you know. But we were woken up far too many times by my dad coming home completely out of his mind and full of rage. And so out of that quietness, of that moment, there would come terror and fear. And the noise and the screams that we would hear were, would, would strike my heart, especially with terror. So we would all wake up out of a sleep to this. We would run down the stairs and we'd sit at the, the bottom step which looked right into mom and dad's door, but the door was shut. And all we could hear was the arguing and the physical confrontation that was happening on the other side of the door. I could remember, you know, just, you know, I remember saying, you know, at times, we were sitting there just listening to that and just, you know, just just getting, uh, you know, enraged in a sense, just upset and just hurt, fearful, all these feelings. And just, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? Are you okay? Saying this to my mom and just going through the emotions and the feelings like, I don't know if she's going to make it out of there tonight. And uh, a lot of times we'd fall asleep on the couch, down in the living room, and maybe we'd make it up to our beds. But the sun would come a lot quicker than we anticipated. Mom would have our lunch bags together, and uh, she'd put us in our school clothes, and she'd send us out with the rest of the kids on our block down to the bus stop. And she always would say, Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Remember, what happens here stays here. And away we would go. And, um, you know, so as I think back about my childhood, there was definitely a significant level of dysfunction, a significant level of denial. You learned at a, an early age, to deny the pain, the suffering, my own feelings, what was actually happening in the middle of the night in my house. I learned to live that lie from the time I was a little boy. And I learned to tell it well when I went to school or wherever I would go. You would never know what was taking place in the middle of the night. You know, um, just a lot of stuff coming out of that uh, house, you know, my, my place of origin... You know, there was a lot of good, but it was mixed up with this dysfunction, you know. You know, as there, you know, obviously, you know, I learned, uh, you know, some of my codependency tendencies started to seep into my life. As I learned how, well, actually, as I began to take ownership of my dad's feelings. And I learned what it took in order for him not to get, you know, angry. And so I spent a good portion of my life always walking around on eggshells and doing everything I could do. To help manage his feelings. Um, and, and losing myself in some of that. Obviously issues of abandonment. Every time my dad raised his hand at my mother, he ceased to be my father. And he abandoned me as his son or a child in those moments. The fear of abandonment and just thinking that someday he would even leave as crazy as that is. And not wanting him to leave. My, fee- You know, fear gripped my heart and my self-worth was in the tank. Uh, even though I succeeded at some things, at sports and different things like that. Inside, I had a ton of fear. I had extremely low self-esteem. And I was carrying a bunch of shame in my backpack from the time I was a little kid. I'll just give you a little bit of an idea. When we were 16 years old, we moved to, um, we moved to Sparta. Um, uh, Sparta, New Jersey. And uh, that's where I started to get involved with drugs. The whole idea of transitioning to a new place and living in a new place was something that I was extremely ill-prepared for. And uh, my desire to fit in, to be loved, to be accepted by my peer group was all that mattered. And I would do anything to feel loved, to fit in, and be accepted. Now, even though there was a bunch of this dysfunction going on in the house, Dad was a bar owner, there was booze all, all, always around, and all kinds of different... That lifestyle was very much there... They still, they still instilled in us, you never, ever use drugs. You could drink, but you don't use drugs. It was kind of the mantra in the house. But here I was at 16 years old, all my friends were using drugs, and I wasn't. And I went through this process in my heart, in my mind, thinking like, wow, if I'm ever going to really be accepted and fit in with my peer group, you know, I want to experience what they're doing, I want to do what they're doing. And so what that meant to me was that I was going to smoke a joint. So, you know, the first time I smoked a joint and I got high, I felt, I felt different. I, w- I would want to even say, hey, you know what? I felt good for a moment. The fears, the shame, the anger, the low self-esteem was dis- dissipated for a moment, right? Well, by the time I was 17, I was a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. It happened pretty quick for me. And it wasn't long before I was taking hallucinogenics and, I, got, and, I, and I, I found my drug of choice, my drug that I love, which was cocaine and alcohol. And, um, you know, it just led me to, uh, to a dark place. By the time I was 21 years old, I entered into my first rehab up in Sussex County. I went through a 30-day program. And... Uh, And then from there, I ended up going into a halfway house for eight months. And then from there, I went into a sober home for for probably a few weeks. Um, The sober home was set up in such a way that it was people who were in the halfway house, other guys that I was in the halfway house with. We moved into the sober home together, and we sought to do this new life together. Within the first few weeks, all of my brothers, my friends, went back out to, to their old ways, picked up where they left off. I was kind of sitting there with the house like I was trying to figure out what to do. I moved in with another another group of guys who were trying to live sober. And after being there maybe a couple of months, I remember waking up, looking in the mirror and saying to myself, I hate you and I hate this new life. And I went back out, picked up a beer, and it wasn't long before I was off to the races back and forth to George Washington Bridge over and over again. And that just led me to just a very, very dark place. You know, in the height of my addiction, I would go out thinking I was going to have one drink. I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out and have one drink. I'm going to go out and hang out with my friends tonight. But that would always turn into uh, an absolute disaster. Uh, For instance, one evening I was going out to hang out with some of my friends, and we were hanging out at one of the local bars that we used to hang out at. We closed the bar, and then we thought, hey, let's go to New York City, and let's go cop some drugs. All right. So my friend drives me in there. We're in the same car. He drops me off in front of the dealers, a, high-rise, a built, high-rise building, and uh, I make my way to, to my dealer, and on the way back down the steps, I pass out. And I'm waking up being mugged. Uh, My jacket's gone. My shoes are gone. My money's gone. My stuff is gone. I get down to to the, uh, the ground floor of this building. And I'm met by a couple of police officers who rough me up a little bit. Tell me to take off all my clothes and kick me out onto the street. And they finally let me back in, grab my clothes. I get outside. My friend's nowhere to be found. And there I am just wandering the streets in New York City, you know, barefoot. Actually full of fear and paranoia as a result of my drug use. I ended up sitting in the Port Authority that morning on a step begging for money to come home. Uh, no 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 one felt the urge to give me anything. And so what do I do? I start walking. Across, I start walking and literally walk across the George Washington Bridge. Somebody picks me up, drops me off at my sister's exit. I walk to her house. I bury myself in her couch. And I try, to, I try to somehow deny that what just happened happened so that I could pull my mind and my body and my heart together just one more time and wake up and go back to work and try to live a normal life. But it wasn't possible anymore. You know, that's what happened to me. That's where my addiction led me. You know, I I always say my addiction led me to a place of absolute physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bankruptcy. You know, like I just described physically, I wasn't able to get up out of bed and continue on to, to do the basics that I needed to do in order to live the life that God created me to live. You know, emotionally, I would say love. You know, if I use love as a, as a term of an emo, emo in it's emotional uh, expression. You know, there was no more love left in me. I lost the capacity to love others, to love myself. I couldn't maintain, or have, or even think of having a a, a healthy or sustainable relationship with with anybody. Mentally, I I, I was I was crazy. Actually, I was. My drug use led to a place where I was diagnosed at the end of the road with severe paranoia and mild psychosis. And spiritually, I was absolutely 100% dead, flatlining. I believed that if there was a God, that he wanted me dead. That's where alcohol and drugs led me, you know. That's where addiction led me. That's where the enemy and the darkness brought me. John 10.10, right? The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. And as I opened myself up, you know, to the darkness and gave myself away to it, it delighted to take its full authority over my life and lead me to a place where I wanted to die. I had no purpose, reason to live. I believed that there was no way out. I believed that I would die that way, that I, would, I was going to exist in this state that I had found myself in, and there was no way out. Um, and I started contemplating ways that I could end my life. So right around that same time, I had a friend who was still uh, going to recovery groups, and he... Um, he he always reached out to me to see how I was doing, and he would still invite me to come with him to a recovery meeting. And so one night, my friend Mike calls. He says, "Hey, you wanna you wanna go to this uh, to this sobriety countdown with me? We're going. There's this gathering, and all these people who are in recovery are gonna celebrate their their time clean." And I, and I said, "Well, what do I have to lose?" So I went with Mike, and I, it was it was really a, a neat gathering. There were all these people gathered around, and. They were saying, you know, they were celebrating their recovery, you know, and it was like, hey, who has the most time in the room? Who has 30 years clean, you know? And someone would stand up and raise their hand and, you know, they would go down through the years and then they would get down to months and then they would get down to days. And they started counting down days and they got down to 13 days. And they said, who has 13 days clean today? And that was me. I raised my hand. And there was nobody else there with less clean time than me. So I was the guy in that crowd who had the least amount of clean time. And so these folks, they invited me up to the front of this gathering and they, um, they handed me some literature and they said, do you have anything to say? I thought, well, it was probably one of the first times I didn't have anything to say. Right. What was I? I, didn't know, I didn't know what to say. But then they began to chant my name and they began to say over and over, Pete, we love you lots and lots and whole bunches. We love you lots and lots and whole bunches, Pete. We love you lots and lots and whole bunches. And even as I reflect back now, it was like a time standstill moment. And the Holy Spirit used that group of people to reveal to me this simple, profound, life-changing truth. That there is something out there that loves me. And that began the search. I wanted to know who and what it was. And so I began going to my recovery groups and they'd say, does anybody have an issue or something they want to talk about? And I'd raise my hand and I'd say, yeah, does anybody know who God is and what his will is for your life? Oh man, that was pretty wild. One night coming out of a meeting up in Morristown, this guy walks up to me, looks me in the face. He says, Pete, I know who God is and I know what his will is for your life. My apartment's just right down the street. You want to grab a cup of coffee? Next thing I know, I'm in this guy's apartment. And he's sharing the gospel with me. Now, I'd never, I, you know, I had no idea. I never opened up a Bible. I had no idea what the theology behind the gospel was. But there he was sharing it with me. You know, he asked me if I was a sinner. I, I, could, I didn't have any trouble saying yes to that, right? <laughs> then he said, did you know that Jesus Christ died for you? That he gave himself for you. And if you get on your knees, cry out to him. He can help you. You know, I'm sure he said he could forgive your sin and that he'll give you eternal life. And it's not what you do, but it's what he's, what he's done and all those things. I'm sure he said them all. But all I got from what he was saying was, man, you know what, Pete? Jesus can help you. He said, do you want Jesus to help you? I was like, yes, I need help. And I got on my knees in that guy's apartment that night. And I cried out to the Lord, raised my hands toward heaven, and said to him, out of that brokenness and that pit, Lord Jesus, save me. Amen. You know? And um, he did. He did. You know, in that moment. Everything changed. The entire uh, movement that was happening in my life toward death turned to life. That that feeling in, in my heart and that reality that I was so empty and so broken that I couldn't love or experience love. I began to experience the love and the grace of God in the depths of my heart. You know, my my life was a complete disaster on the outside, yet inside I was experiencing this peace from God that was there the next day and the next day and the next day. You know, one of the things that I, I like to reflect upon in my own life and that I continually need to do is that God accepted me in that place just as I was. In my deepest, darkest moment, in my place of greatest need, Jesus was there, and he scraped me up from that pit of hell, and he set me free. He set me free. You know that the enemy had his claws in me, right? My addiction. I lived in the the prison of my addiction. I was enslaved to my addiction. And the day I cried out to Jesus, those chains were broken. And he gave me the grace and the strength to do something that I could never do for myself. That was to overcome my addiction, right? But He also forgave me of my sins, He washed them as far as the East is from the West. He gave me strength and power through his word to stand against the lies of the enemy as they would seep their way back into my mind on on, on many occasions and still do as those lies come now. All of a sudden I was learning to memorize his word and I was learning how to battle in Christ's name against the enemy. I was learning who I was in him as a beloved child of the king, right? That even though I felt like a piece of dirt, that God would certainly want to wipe off the face of this earth. Today I know through the scripture, right, that I am a beloved child of the King. I am tenderly loved by the Father. Like I am the recipient of every blessing in Christ. I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm his adopted son. Yeah, I I felt what it feels like to be an orphan spiritually. But today I am a child and a son of God. Amen. All of these truths and all of these realities became mine in that moment when I cried out to Jesus. And he has given me a new life. I haven't had a, you know, by God's grace and God's grace alone. I have not had a drink or drug in 28 years. I've been married for 26 years. I have five. I have five beautiful children. My son Noah is here with me, with his girlfriend, their family, and some of the other guys from our hub. We're stoked about that. So, you know, God has given back the years of the locusts of stone. Here, I think that the message, you know, uh, this morning here is that there is hope and healing in the name of Jesus. You know, I just shared my story a couple of uh, a week or so ago, and somebody said, you know. Oh, you got your times messed up and how long you've been clean. Did you try to do that just so people would think that, you know, you didn't relapse or something like that? I share what happened to me because it's what ha- what's happened to me, right? Jesus delivered me from my addiction and he's given me the strength on a daily basis to not turn back to that. But I am a work in progress. I am a believer in Jesus Christ who is learning every day what it looks to live in the love and the light of, of my Savior, of my Father, to learn and live in the reality of what it's like for Him to be my Father and for me to be His true Son. This is an ongoing, lifelong process. It starts at salvation, right? But it is, it is a life of surrender. It's a life of commitment. It's a life of being in need of God. And my best place for me to be is in that space of need, and aware of that space of need every moment of every day, as much as I am also fully aware of the provision and the, um, and of God in all of that. I love what uh, uh, Brent Manning says. He, he says the person that is fully aware of their sin, their, their dark side, their deepest, darkest part of who they are, fully aware of that, and fully aware of the grace of God and all that Christ has done for them. It's where the two of them meet that we have freedom. My life today is not a life about sweeping things under the rug. It is all about being transparent before God and transparent before other brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. I need that in order to grow. I need that in order to stay clean. I need that in order not to sin today and to offend the Spirit of God in my life. So, real quick here, I wanted to share a little bit about, about, uh, about Recovery Hub and how all that comes into play. So, God has been so gracious. I am a, a spoiled child of the King. <laughs> he is an extravagant giver, and he just continues to pour it out. Early on in my, in my, in my salvation, in my conversion, in my walk, in my relationship with God... You just kind of, hey, I have something I want you to do. We kind of, like I'd be in a place of worship like we were this morning. And, or, and I would kind of sense and feel as a thought. God was saying, I have something I want you to do. I had no idea what it was. So at first it looked like putting carrots on the plate at the coffee house. But now I was happy to do that. But over the years, not that I... May I never graduate from the carrot on the coffee plate. And may whatever I have to say now about whatever happened over the past 20 years in ministry... Ever become my credentials to be to, to, to serve the Father, right? My the, my 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 credentials—they they they certainly can't be any greater than Paul's. And what he said about his credentials was, they were all dung. And then he said, "I am the least of the saints. I am the chief of sinners." that's really it. Yeah. And God has also allowed me to have a tremendous lifelong history of being involved in in ministry over the years. So I served for like eight years as a youth pastor in a church up in Clinton. And God called us out to the mission field from that church. And we served for 10 years in Mexico, in La Paz, developing a uh, ministry called Rancho El Camino. You can check it out. It's called www.ranchoelcamino.org. We got there. It was an uh, abandoned ranch, a homestead that God has turned into like a kingdom hub. It went from nobody coming out onto that property for like throughout the entire week. Today, over a thousand people go through there a year. And they're, they're encountering the presence of God, being equipped for the work of God, extending the kingdom of God. It's, it's awesome. All the glory to God. So when we got back, from there, and the Lord redirected us back to the States, I took on a role as a lead pastor up at Grace Bible Chapel, which is in Chester, where I will serve as the lead pastor until July 1st. And on July 1st, I will step down into an associate role as I continue to step into the full uh, role that I have in developing this ministry called Our Hub. So, so, so Our Hub, what is Our Hub all about? Really what Our Hub's all about is what happened to me on the floor in that guy's house. That's what it's all about. It's all about bringing the hope and the message of Christ to people like myself who are in a hopeless state as a result of an addiction. Now, I'll preach the gospel and share Christ to whoever God sends our way. But I believe that God has put me in a place today and has, has, is calling us to develop this organization called Recovery Hub, which the entire focus, again, is to bring the gospel, the message of healing in Christ's name, straight into the addictions crisis and reach uh, men and women and young people who are struggling with addictions, with the, go- with the message of the gospel, and then to give them the tools and the support that they need in order to live the life that God has called them to live to experience His goodness and His love in their lives, to have purpose rebirthed in them, to have a new vision for their life, again, and to have the support that they they need on a daily basis to walk in their new life in Christ. So really quick, um, as... um, where do we go with that, right? You know, so we got off the mission field. We were on sabbatical for a year, and my wife and I just began praying. We said, Lord, what is it that you would have us to do? What is it that you would have us to do? And so the picture and the vision that God gave was a picture of a ranch, just like we had developed in Mexico for 10 years, here in the States, with a, with a single focus of reaching men who are uh, in the grip of addictions. So it's to open up a, a farm, ranch, or on a camp setting here in northern New Jersey, F- for, with a one-year uh, Christ-centered residential program for men. This is our big, big dream. And then from there, God just, you know, he, as, as I've been praying and, and, and seeking the Lord over the past several years, you know, what are the other elements and the pieces that are missing in the puzzle today that we as a church and that we as the, the church with the big C can begin to put in place for people? There was a huge gap for me when I went to that sober home. I went into a place that was supposed to be safe and help me to move forward in my walk in, in, in the Lord and also in my recovery. And it was not that. That was not the case. And so the other piece of our, of our vision is to develop sober homes throughout northern New Jersey that are fully Christ-centered, that are focused on the principles of the Scripture and living a life that honors and pleases God. And then we are also in the process of developing support groups throughout the region that will uh, be there for people on a, on a weekly basis to become a part of a recovery community that is focused on Jesus Christ. So those are the three major aspects of what we want to do with Recovery Hub. Where are we today? What's already happening? Uh, the, I'm excited to tell you that uh, there's a Recovery Hub group in Passaic. <laughs> yes! Yes! Me and one of my closest brothers here, Kevin, who is also a house leader in one of our sober homes, we're walking down the steps and we said, wow, we didn't know that this was a part of the story that we would be walking in here to spend this beautiful morning with you guys. And uh, we're overwhelmed and overjoyed. So there's a group that started here. If you're a guy and you're interested in finding out about recovery, please let us know and we'll help you to get connected with that. Obviously, Pastor Tim as well. And um, the... um, we have three. We, we, we have three groups that meet up in Chester at the church that I pastor, and we are now uh, beginning to move toward launching another group in Chester, in uh, in Clinton. Um, and so the groups are expanding. Um, we just opened up a sober home in my basement, <laughs> so we just received uh, licensing for that, and we're able to uh, we're, we're we're ready to receive three other men into that sober home. Um, we continue to pray and seek the Lord as He uh, as and try to wait on Him in His provision for this piece of land that we we're uh, we're praying for, so that we can we can also begin the development of the the one year residential program. There's there's a few other things that we provide. I mean, we at any time of the day, you know, I'll get calls from from various you know from people within the community, people within other church communities looking for help. Uh, so we provide pastoral counseling. For, pe- for folks. We have a couple of people that are in our organization right now that are going through a certification that's called uh, Certified Peer Recovery Specialist. It's a new uh, certification within the, within the mental health uh, field that is being recognized. It's a peer-to-peer approach to, um, to helping folks who are in crisis to find the tools that they need in order to get well. Um, we have, a, we have a horse ministry that's uh, at its inception up on our property up in Chester. So what we do there is we take people who are who, like myself or even in this moment where I'm at today or anywhere along this path of recovery, and we connect them with our beautiful horse called Ruby. Uh, myself and my daughter, who has been working with horses her whole life, spend time with the, the, those folks. And it just becomes a context where we can really begin to get to know one another and open up toward one another. So those are a few of the things that are happening. I'm sure I'm probably missing a couple more, but we're really excited about what God's doing. You know, as we close, I, um, I just want to share this. I had this thought the other day, you know, well, what do we do? Who is Recovery Hub and what's it all about? And, yeah, so there are, we're, we want to continue to grow in our ability to actually really provide very uh, real and needed support in Jesus' name to those who are, who are struggling with addictions. But one of the things that came to my mind that, that that really hit me for the first time was in the the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, I would really love to say, and I pray that our organization will outlive all of us and that it will continue to be a place where the prodigal can come home. The uh, You know, I love this story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. And so many people, so many of us have heard it over and over and over again. I'll tell you what, I can't hear it too much. I can't. Uh, preach it too much, I can't meditate upon it too much because it really, uh, it really speaks to me about my, my state of being as a lost son and then coming home to a loving father. You know, one of the things in this story that's so cool, um, so we all know the story, right? The son takes off, he's, he wants all of his stuff, he's fully selfish, he's kind of an expression of the sinful, the, the human heart, the sin within the human heart. And uh, he goes off and he, you know, he spends everything that his father graciously gave to him. And then he finds himself in a place of need, right? He doesn't even have anything to eat, so he goes and hires himself out. And he starts uh, working in these pig styes. And his his boss won't even, they won't even give him any food, uh, the pods that even the pigs were eating. And he was just in this place of need. And isn't that what sin does? It leaves us in a place of need. Whatever our flavor of sin is, I've expressed to you what mine is. But, but sin leads us to that place where we find ourselves in need, in need of God, in need to, of turning back toward him. Right, And then the whole story we know, right, God, he, he says, oh, man, I, it's going to be much better for me to, to go home. But, man, I'm such a sinner. He goes back, tells the father, oh, I am such a sinner. But even as he's moving toward God, we know that God is moving toward him. And that when this young man in the story, the prodigal, comes back to the father, he is met with compassion and mercy, that the father receives him, brings him in. You know, I feel like that's what the church is all about. I feel like that's what Recovery Hub is all about. We join God in opening our doors and our arms so wide that as soon as one addict turns or has a willingness, or maybe he's even stuck in that place, we're running toward them, arms wide open, ready to tell them that they are loved and accepted by their creator God. You know, and then I love the story as it goes on, you know, the father says to his servants, he says, go and uh, get a white robe and put it on my son. Go and get sandals and and put them on my son. Go and get a ring and put them on my son. Go and kill the fattened calf because we're going to celebrate because my son, who was lost, is found. And you know what really struck me? Because I've preached that a bunch of times and I talk all about how, hey... That white robe is a robe of righteousness that God puts on us, right? Is we, he, he imputes to us His righteousness. He washes away our sin and we're clothed in this robe, right? And then we know this, 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 the sandals, they represent Him being delivered from slavery. He had no shoes on and a slave in that time would have no shoes. And He's saying, no, Oh, you go put some shoes on Him. And He's saying, You are no longer a slave. Then he said, no, put the ring on his finger, right? Like he wandered off from home and he's living exiled like an orphan. But he's not. He's my son. You put a ring on his finger. He said, go kill that fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my son who was lost has come home. Do you know what struck me? The servants put on the robe. The servants put on the sandals. The servants... Put on the ring. The servants through the party. We are God's servants. Who, and so as our ministry continues to grow, and, and we think of the, even as a, as a church with the big C, that's what our hub is all about. No matter, where, no matter when anybody calls our phone, comes into one of our groups, ends up in one of our homes, or comes to our one-year residential program, they are going to, our goal is for them to know and feel, and in a very incarnational way, the love, the grace, and the mercy of God as we embrace them. And then our role as the servants is to continue to help them to realize that now in Christ there is a ring on your finger and you are part of the family. To help them to understand that there are no, they're no longer slaves but that they've been set free. That God places those sandals on their feet. We put those sandals on every time someone walks through our doors. We're trying to help them to see through the revelation of God's word, through the preaching of the word and through the expressions of love and compassion that they are loved, that they are part of the family, that they are set free, that they are forgiven, and boy, do we want to celebrate that at every moment that we can. So thank you for letting me share. I hope it gives you a good idea, come, come a bit of a vision about who we are, where we're at, what we're doing, and uh, we're delighted to have this opportunity to be with you, and we'd be happy, if, you know, if time permits in your schedule to get, get to meet you or connect with you um, as the service comes to a close. So I'm not exactly sure how the service is closed, but I would imagine Pastor Tim does.
1: Thank you, Pastor Pete. I don't think it was any coincidence that the Lord has been talking to us about things about being the kind of church that he's designed us to be, a pure church. We talked about that last week. And part of that vision, big part of that vision, being a pure church, is being evangelistic. And, you know, we're always looking for opportunity to reach people with the gospel. And we always feel like most people don't want to listen or are not concerned or just don't want to hear it. And yet there's this whole segment of our society that's suffering right now. And we can't go on the missions trips with Straight Path Ministries just yet. You know, we we can't go overseas and do a lot of the ministry we were doing at this church for for many years. And we'll continue to do into the future. But look at this. We have an opportunity right on our doorstep, literally. So... I, again, thank Our Hub Ministries and thank uh, Pastor Pete for coming and letting us know about this opportunity. Listen, if you're struggling, and I'm going to ask Jill if you could put that graphic up. If you're struggling and, and you could benefit from, from some help in this area, there's all the information you need to know. And if you know someone who's, who is struggling or who has been struggling, listen— I don't know too many people in recovery who have had an easy go of it this last year. That's the information you want to know. And again, you can get the information on the back table and and make further contact if you'd like with, with Pastor Pete and his staff. But there's no reason for anyone not to receive the support and the help that they need, who need it. But what an opportunity for some of you who may have a history similar to what Pete described to get involved. And if this is something that you feel called to and something that you would like to be a part of, you know who to speak to. What a great and wonderful mission field we have. And so we're partnering with our hub, and I'm excited to see what God will do